Okay, we're recording. All right. All right. Well, uh, hello. Um, I'm Marshall Bolin, and this is Stephen Douglas. And this is the first episode of our new podcast, which is called In Goodwill. And we are two friends who uh, have separate tribes politically. And uh, we're coming together to try to model what it can be like to have a, a fruitful conversation with someone with whom you might disagree on some things politically. And uh, th this is something that the two of us have been doing just naturally as friends for some time. And we thought, man, we would like to see more of this kind of quality of conversation in the world. And we feel like I mean, today is a day or two after the, uh, the storming of the capital of our country. And uh, we're, we're just seeing such a need for people to know how to communicate with each other about what they disagree on in a way that isn't likely to make things worse. And uh, we've seen yeah. between the two of us that it can go in that direction. You don't have to degree, agree on things in order to make progress and uh, to, to have goodwill for each other. So that's uh, why we're coming together. Anything you want yeah. to jump in and add so far? I do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've really been thankful for our conversations, Marshall. Um, uh, I've found so often in today's society um, that we create echo chambers and kind of separate off, um, listen only to our tribe. Um, and even now news sources are uh, very much um, separated. And so people are looking for their news sources and there's even disagreement over uh, where we get our news, how we get our news uh, and what does that, that news say. And so really we're, we're at the mercy of uh, news sources that editorialize based on a uh, constituency that they want to go after. And um, so I've found myself at a place where I find I have to listen to a batch of different sources um, all over the board in order to try to find what is the truth, um, kind of what's the what's really going on and then how do you have a reasonable conversation about it and so i've just really been thankful that we've had a chance to get together that uh, we've been able to talk about life and talk about faith and um, politics and all sorts of things like that um, from different perspectives but in a really respectful way and uh, it's really given me um I think a little bit more courage, um, but also um, a lot of joy uh, to be able to speak to things like this and to call others to do the same. And so I'm, I was really glad when you proposed this podcast um, that we could be able to engage in this together and, uh, and move forward and, and set a model for other people too. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I, I find our conversations refreshing. Yeah, uh, it's it's a, it's a refreshing departure from either uh, preaching to the choir, talking with within an echo chamber of people that I already agree with, or 
having these tragic conversations where, uh, I'm, you know, people are talking past each other. They, they've decided they're not going to hear each other before they even open their mouths. And so you and I have found uh, a third way between those two useless approaches. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we want to we spread this, this practice uh, because it feels like we're really in need of it. This is, man, what a divided country. I mean, yeah. just the numbers of the of who's voting for who in the elections and wow this is a divided country yeah you know my wife and i were just talking about that the other day of just how uh how perfectly divided we are as a nation um i think we've all been kind of surprised at uh how right down the center that's been and we've got very close races, which tell us that, um, you know, to be honest, I think that shows a lot of fear that and when you only have two options and you put all of your eggs in that basket, it really um, it leads to this divisive, angry place. And it leads to people saying, hey, I can't vote for a third option or a fourth option. Um, because it risks too much, giving too much to the other side. Yeah. And so um, so then we find this this division kind of right in the center and people kind of just separating from each other over that. And yeah, I'd love to see us get away from that. Um, I'd love to see viable other options um, politically, um, but also just more civility in our conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the the average person has a lot to learn about what it would look like to be civil. And I understand the objections to that. Um, I, I do hear a lot of people saying, you know, uh, why should I be civil with somebody who is not going to be civil with me? And, right, and it doesn't right. make sense. Uh, this is not a simple, it's not a simplistic situation. And there are consequences to being too vulnerable in the way that people sure. often use that word. And yeah. so I'd just like to acknowledge that, that um, you and I are, if we're, if we're doing what we, we're trying to do here, we're not coming together in a simplistic fashion and saying uh, that there's no, there's no complexity to this and everybody right. should just get, why can't you just get along? <laughs> right. I, I think we understand why people can't get along. Yeah, but in in each of our respective work that we do in our lives, you and I have some experience with finding these um, answers that actually are good, workable answers to some of the major questions that have plagued humanity, <laughs> such as sure. conflict. So uh, that might be a good segue to explain who we are and what what our tribes are a little bit. Absolutely. Well, uh, I guess I'll go first then. Um, yeah. So um, I, I guess I would identify myself as a conservative evangelical. Um, there are both of those things, I think, are almost so nebulous now that it's really hard to define them. Um, when I say conservative, I really mean it in a classical sense of of looking at things that are worth conserving, um, that there are aspects of morality, there, there's objective truth, there's um, 
there are important things from our culture and our tradition that are worth preserving. Um, and that doesn't mean that there is no movement forward, but it does mean um, that we can't move forward without occasionally taking a look back at the past, right? And seeing what's valuable. Um, and sometimes we lose sight of that as a nation, I think. Um, and then as an evangelical, that also has come to mean some really weird <laughs> things. And certainly in our culture today, uh, evangelical is almost a four-letter word, um, you know, politically. And really that is a word that is supposed to mean um, people who are engaging into the world, people of faith, people who have reasonable, rational um, uh, viewpoints on th that there is a God, um, that, that he has spoken, that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, um, and that um, he has a purpose for us, and that we can actually enter into the public square and talk about that. Not that we have to shove things down people's throats or, you know, any of that, but that we, we can give a rational explanation for our faith. Um, versus uh, this kind of uh, circle the wagons, uh, keep people out, build walls uh, kind of a thing. And I just think um, in some ways evangelicalism, um, as it's kind of known today, has become too political in many ways. Um, and it, it's almost become party affiliated, which I think is dangerous. But we can talk about that at length later yeah. when we get into politics. But my background um, is... Uh, I went to Northwestern College for a bachelor's in biblical studies and then on to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky uh, for a master's of divinity. Um, I serve as a pastor in an evangelical free church in Minnesota. And uh, um, yeah, so uh, my, my conservative evangelical uh, thing has a little bit of a background to it. So, yeah. 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 How about you, Marshall? For me, um, well, I um, the the programs that your average progressive is excited about are, are things that I'm also excited about. So, in that sense, I'm literally progressive, like you're literally conservative. Um, mm -hmm. That um, I I would like to throw out the bathwater without throwing out the baby. And so I, I do have a lot of respect and overlap with conservative ideas like yours. But um, there, there are a lot of problems that we have as a society and as, as a union of states that um, I'd like to see fixed. And I'm excited about some of the ideas that are out there about how to fix them. And mm -hmm. for me, there's a lot of overlap with the mainstream suggestions of how we can approach that when it comes to climate change and economics and uh, social inclusion. Mm. Those are things that I'm passionate about and that I vote for. So, sure. yeah, like we were talking about the division of the nation and having two options that most of us see as the only viable options uh, for who to vote for and how we can 
try to get our voices heard politically. I, I think we're, we're uh, when, we, when we vote for one of those options, the people who are opposed to that option starts to identify us, each of us, with the person we voted for. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I don't want that. I have so many, so many, uh, such a strong critique and so many things to critique about who I just voted for being uh, Joe Biden. Uh, But yeah, I do feel like I'm faced with uh, only two viable options. And I I feel an urgency to make progress on doing things differently regarding our environment and the effects that human beings might be having on melting of the ice caps and all that stuff. And uh, I do feel passionately about groups of people who have been traditionally marginalized. Mm. And I'm interested in listening to how they're saying, hey, there hasn't been enough room for me and I haven't felt equal and figuring out ways to help them feel equal. Um, yeah. So my background, uh, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an auto educator, I guess. You know, I, I went to college for a little bit, but I didn't graduate. And um, I actually studied theology and electric bass guitar in college. And uh, I, I had considered becoming a Catholic priest when I was in high school. So I, I have a long history with Christianity. And throughout the course of this podcast, you and I will have some toothful conversations, toothsome conversations to delve into there. Um, But right now, I mean, if you talk to somebody who is more of a card-carrying Christian, they're probably not going to consider me a Christian, and I'm okay Mm. with that. Uh, But I I would like to say that uh, from my path, I was very influenced by reading uh, the New Testament, especially, especially the Gospels when I was 14 and 15. And that really had a profound effect, and I'm, I'm still very influenced on uh, by that stuff. And uh, the reason that my interests now are more universal is because that just seemed to me what I was being le- led toward when I really got as deep and honest as I could with what I was reading about Jesus and uh, you know, other aspects of the Bible and Christianity and Catholicism, it looked to me like I was being steered toward uh, f- being more courageous with who I would include. Mm-hmm. And now I find myself in a place that looks really agnostic or universal. And I, I love those terms. I'm okay with those terms. But I, I would like anybody listening to me to know that uh, it, I didn't have some moment where I thought, oh, this is this religion stuff is dumb or, you know, there wasn't like a cynical parting with it. It really was a decision based on what I thought was best and leading me towards uh, the highest good that I could imagine. Mm. So I, I've come to learn in my, uh, in my thirties and forties that um, kind of what resonated with me the most with Jesus was Uh, his conflict resolution approach. Uh, Some of the things he said, like about loving your enemies, 
to me, that is so relevant. And so I've, I've gone on to study conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with people who would like to learn how to communicate better, sometimes couples, sometimes groups. And I also use a similar approach uh, working with people who are afraid there's something wrong with them because of the anxiety and depression and anger that they feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that's, that's what I do. I, I work with people to help them make peace with each other and with themselves. And I also have some experience with restorative justice. And I see these as kind of like uh, layers on an onion. There's how do you make peace with yourself? How do you make peace interpersonally? And then how do we, uh, how do we create systems of agreements and governance where everybody feels like they have equal support and accountability and uh, I forgot the other thing, <laughs> but yeah, equal support and ac- accountability. Oh yeah, and the other thing is, uh, how can we address harm without creating mm-hmm. new harm? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, <laughs> that's a, a good place to to say that one of the things that's led, I think, to this podcast is uh, our conversations on restorative justice. Yeah. And so I think both of us were a little surprised when uh, we shared a conversation about restorative justice and you were telling me about some of the work that you were doing here in the Twin Cities. And, uh, um, and I was kind of uh, sharing with you what the Bible says about restorative justice, and um, that that I felt that part of a Christian's role is toward restoration of the world around us, in, including people. Um, and so th- there should be a heartbeat toward restorative justice. And so we can talk more about what that means and, and how we see that, but I think that's a definite place for connection, um, whether we're coming at it from a progressive viewpoint or from a you know conservative Christian viewpoint. There is a connection. And, uh, and you mentioned... Um, kind of how Jesus uh, works toward conflict resolution. And earlier in the podcast, you mentioned a third way. Yeah. And uh, so often Jesus takes a third way rather than a fight or a flight response to, um, to challenges. Instead, uh, not only does he enter into the situation with people, but uh, including into really hard circumstances for them without shunning them, shaming them, but just kind of meeting them where they are. But also uh, he calls Christians, those who would follow him, um, to do the same, um, to lean in instead of to flee or to fight. And I think uh, that's another area where you and I have, have found some common agreement um, we see too much fight and flight in our culture. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and um, we have judgments that each of us makes all the time. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, well, I can say this from experience. A lot of times when somebody starts first getting interested in conflict resolution or nonviolence, something like that, uh, they, it's very tempting to conclude that you're 
uh, that your judgments are somehow bad, that, that, that it's wrong to have judgments. Uh, because we see the destructiveness that happens when we, when we reveal those judgments to somebody else or we, we try to convince them to agree with our own judgments. Mm-hmm. And what I think is missing from the conversation is first the acknowledgement that judgments are great. They are adaptive. Uh, we would all die if we didn't immediately, if we didn't have these judgments. Sure. And when I say somebody, you know, when I, in my head, when I say to somebody, you know, this guy's, this guy's a jerk, you know, whatever name you want to call him, this guy's a jerk. Um, I'm, what I'm really saying is based on what I've seen, I think that there's a chance that this person might um, be a threat to my needs or, and, or a threat to the needs of other people that I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. And so my, my adaptive emotional system that we all have translates that as this guy's a jerk. And that happens really quickly. And we can, we can see the uh, adaptiveness of quick judgments because sometimes threats happen quickly and beautifully our systems are set up to respond quickly. And that judgment of this guy's a jerk might make the difference of me uh, leaving the situation before somebody gets hurt. And so the trick is what's missing from these complex situations of conflict is um, there's also a method of thinking slowly. Mm-hmm. So um, we're, we're all here because we've survived over the years by thinking quickly. And now we get into trouble because some situations call for quick judgments within ourselves. And some other situations call for slow, careful communication. Mm-hmm. Where instead of sharing judgments, we try to find, we try to listen for the universal human feelings and needs that underlie the behavior of the people that we're upset with. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping to introduce to the conversation in, in my contributions to this co- podcast and the world in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, I resonate very deeply with that, you know, in uh, counseling uh, and pastoring, um, you know, shepherding people. A lot of times um, you, those snap judgments, you know, you, you can kind of feel that same way. This person's a jerk. Um, but um, the desire to understand them as an image bearer of God um, as somebody who is worthy of time and consideration and even affection, and also recognizing that there are reasons why this person is acting or responding the way that they are. And to you may not agree with it, um, but and and sometimes it's really hard to validate it, but um, it's important to at least consider it. And um, And to give that person a chance to kind of show why they are responding the way they are, acting the way they are. Now, you can't always do that. Like when somebody cuts you off on the road, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. you just like, you know, there, there have been occasions, you know, so you're just going to go, ah, but um, <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I think that's so important to acknowledge that. Uh, as somebody who studies and practices conflict resolution, there are situations that are tragic situations where 
there isn't time to practice good conflict resolution. And those often end in tragedy, but um, yeah. that's, that's the way it is sometimes. And I think we're, we're better off if we acknowledge that as a sad thing rather than um, criticizing somebody for not being as nonviolent as they maybe could have if they'd had more time to act. Yeah. Because in certain tragic situations, the only options that we're able to see sometimes are to dominate or to be dominated. Yeah. And that's, that's no one person's fault that we find ourselves in this uh, lineage um, of being taught that. And I think there's really good and important work to be done. And hopefully you and I are going to do some of it to teach a different way so that maybe we can be so adept that we, we can act quickly uh, and address harm without creating new harm. But yeah. I also have a lot of understanding and forgiveness for those situations that uh, somebody decides this is a wartime decision for me. I, I know that there's going to be consequences. I know there's going to be casualties, but I can't, I can't, think of a better way right now and i get it yeah. you know we're we're stuck in some hard situations like that you mentioned um it's no one individual's fault and i think that's a really important distinction too um right now uh we've got a very like i said a divided nation and we have these echo chambers and so there is this uh life in a sense that they take on the, the, these echo chambers that lead us to extremes and toward not being able to listen to another viewpoint. And when we get into that kind of thinking, um, it's really easy to be whipped up into um, that wartime kind of thinking, even if it isn't necessarily warranted. Uh, I kind of think that the wartime mentality um, should be reserved for certain things or certain times. It's not that it's always bad. Sometimes you have to be, um, you know, and, and we can think of that uh, at an individual level, you know, do we defend our homes? You know, uh, do we, do we, uh, how do we defend the rights of our loved ones or our neighbors? Um, but also uh, on a larger scale, you know, how do we make decisions as a nation and which direction are we going to go? And, uh, what are the implications of um, the Supreme Court or um, the presidential election, et cetera? Um, and so uh, how we think about those things is so important and that we take some time, like you mentioned, to kind of step back and, and do some reflection, both self-reflection, but reflection on the entirety to look back at our history, what, what's intended, you know, that's where that kind of conservative mindset comes in of going, what have we created and what's been the longevity of it? Um, how did we get to the place we are now? Let's try to think more deeply about it instead of just listening to what the talking heads have to say. And here I am a talking head, right? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how have you seen 
echo chamber is affecting your tribe detrimentally? Mm. Oh, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I've been dismayed recently um, just to see sometimes people um, you know, being very open about, I, I'm only going to get my news from a, an alternative news source. Um, so I'm not even going to listen to, um, what this news agency would have to say, or, or the, the main news outlets are going to say about it. I just don't trust them. And so I'm only going to listen to this voice over here, but this voice over here is very incendiary or very uh, angry or uh, has such a narrow viewpoint on the situation and, and such a definite slant. Um, and even sometimes con truly conspiracy theories. Um, and I believe as a Christian and as a pastor, um, that that Christians should be about truth. Uh, we, we should be about telling the truth. We should be about examining things deeply so that we're ensuring that we're speaking the truth and not just our opinions or what we want to see in a situation. That there should be enough introspection and enough uh, examination that we fight to be honest. Um, because our witness uh, for Jesus Christ is on the line. Um, now, I can't speak for every conservative out there because there are there are conservatives who are not Christian, um, you know, uh, and and who would not feel held to maybe the same standard. But I would also say I'd, I'd hope that all people, uh, regardless of whether they're Christian or non-Christian, whatever their background might be, would seek to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I've, I've liked some ideas from a Franciscan priest called uh, Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I liked his take on was uh, he likes to, to translate, you know, in the passage, the, the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And what passage is that from? Oh, you're going to do that. <laughs> is that John? I think it's the Gospel of John. I don't remember it, right it now. Is, it is the words of Jesus, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, that's just, it's become its own discrete, isolated expression. The truth will set you free. And yeah. uh, people have such varying uh, interpretations of what is meant by the truth when we just utter the phrase, the truth. And I like how Richard Rohr says, Let's just say honesty will will set you free. Mm -hmm. The 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 reaching for the truth, maybe you could say, will set you free, rather than some uh, prescribed idea of what is true. But the, hmm. but the attempt to be true will will set you free, and uh, that that resonates with me. Yeah, I I guess I see that a little differently. Uh, I mean, I I definitely can can appreciate that. Um, I think Jesus is making a truth claim about himself. Um, so there is something outside of ourselves that we're looking at, 
Um, there, there is an objective thing outside of ourselves that sets us free. But certainly that is something that we then live into. And that's where that comes into play of, of that being honest and that being um, how are we living truthfully uh, yeah. internally and, in, and outwardly into the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and how, do we, how do we try to get closer to that objective truth that is out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, how do and, you... How do, how do you think the, well, I asked about your own tribe and mm-hmm. you were talking about the echo chambers. How do you think it came to be that there is um, such a distrust of any mainstream news source and there is a trust in these um, alternative sources? Yeah. Um... I kind of think um, along the lines of the the political spectrum, um, I think many conservatives feel, and and I do too, that um, that most of our mainline news sources have moved towards some amount of editorialism. Um, that there's that they're bringing perspective to the news. So it's not just the facts being reported. Uh, that's not enough that we have to be led to think a certain way. And so uh, there's some amount of activism or there's some amount of, of political spin that gets placed on our news media outlet that is meant to shape the understanding and the opinion of the culture. And um, I think conservatives have been leery about um, that being too liberal, uh, that that many of the news sources seem to be liberal. Um, and therefore not trustable. Uh, because again, this perspective thing, if, if, you know, I want to hear conservative news or I want to hear liberal news. Uh, so I'm going to go to this place or this place. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've certainly, you know, seen how people have responded about Fox news or about, uh, CNN or MSNBC, uh, or ABC, CBS, you know, are those kind of are often considered kind of the liberal things. And yeah. I think for a long time, people thought, you know, like API or Reuters uh, would would offer more of a um, just the facts kind of a thing. And they'll, they'll be an outlet for news events that then these different news agencies would take and then go off their directions with. And now I think many conservatives feel that even those uh, come at things with an editorial spin. Um, I think and, so too. Yeah. I agree. Um, as somebody who is eager for certain progressive causes to advance, when I read the news, I'm always hoping that, that uh, news is going to be reported in a way that is going to be able to be received in a non-defensive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, 
get angry all the time. I mean, especially since 2016, I, I've seen a difference. There, there were news sources that I thought of as uh, totally decent. Like that, I, I didn't, I didn't worry that they were pushing away the very people that we would like to communicate with before, but now I do. And I agree with you. Even when I read ABC news or Reuters, like you said, um, I am thinking, what if somebody who has more of a conservative outlook reads this? Are they going to feel like this is balanced? Are they going to feel like it's unbiased? Yeah. And I, I acknowledge the complexities. Um, you know, I can already hear the objections to where I might be coming from, which is, well, truth isn't all equal. And, you know, what if, what if there are perspectives that are more helpful than others? And isn't it a problem if you consider them all equal? And yeah, I do acknowledge that. But um, there's just anyone who has worked in mediation will have learned that uh, one of the things that you do to make in a, mediation, a mediation between two people who are in conflict go productively is that you shift the conversation from the level of positions to the level of needs, or they might call it interests if you take a mediation course. And so um, we're not able to uh, understand or agree with each other's opposing positions. That's just not possible mm -hmm. with positions. But the, the, the underlying all of these positions are universal needs that we can use as our jumping off point. And my dream, my big dream would be to watch news, to watch media sources start to move from the level of positions to the level of needs. Yeah. Then I think we would be on a really good track uh, that we haven't seen in human history. And I, I'd love to just share one example in case nobody's heard this idea before of positions versus needs. So uh, one argument that we have in our country is um, more surveillance, whether it's government or police surveillance uh, versus less surveillance. So one argument says, um, I'd like more surveillance because I'm afraid of terrorism. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, would, uh, I would like to be able to leave my house in safety and then I'd have the freedom I want to do my life in the way I want. And then another position, the opposing one says, I would like less surveillance because I'm afraid of the government. And sure. I would like to be able to leave my house in safety. And that would give me the freedom that I need. So underlying these opposing positions are the same needs for freedom and safety. Yeah. And if the conversation only stays at the level of positions, uh, we won't get anywhere. Uh, we will either be locked in um, a stalemate or uh, a back and forth where one side is always submitting and one side is always dominating. But if we move the conversation, the starting place of the conversation, to the level of needs, we can say, all right, we, we all said that we want more freedom and safety. From this point, what kind of solutions can we come up with? What are the best solutions we can think of where yeah. everybody involved is going to say, uh, yeah, I, I think we're heading towards more freedom and safety for me. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. 
This concludes the first episode of In Goodwill, a conversation between me, Marshall Bolin, and Stephen Douglas. If you'd like to hear future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Okay, see you next time. Peace.